Mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, has declared podcasts as an essential business that can stay open during the lockdown. So according to the mayor of LA, this podcast is more important than your church, more important than your job or restaurants, more important than food, more important than God. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died. Judge Amy Coney Barrett. If Joe Biden wins... Democrats can sack the courts. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Maybe that's a question you should ask China. Anyway, my time's up. I'm not thinking. That's President. okay. I know you're not thinking. You never do. It's a whole hoax. And you know who's playing into the hoax? People like you and the fake news media. We are born free and we will stay free. All right. Well, it feels good to be an essential business, right, Josh? Well, we're, we are. We've known this for a while. <laughs> Someone has to bring the truth to the American people. I, I feel um, like all he's done here is verify what we've known all along, that ruthless is basically like oxygen. Absolutely. Absolutely. More important than God, more important than food. Great, <laughs> great job over there, you know. Mayor of LA doing, doing fine work. Uh, we got a big we show. Got, what we got today? We got a very big show. Uh, we've got a bunch of co- topics to cover here, and we also have a very important interview a man who is at the center of everything right now, uh, the NRSC chairman, Todd Young. Senator Todd Young is going to be with us, and we'll be interviewing him later in the program. Well, it really is a big show. Good get. Um, Let's get into the news of the day. Uh, This is an exciting story about Mark Dayton. You want to tell us about this gentleman? So last night I'm sitting around, uh, kids went to bed and I get a text from a friend who's like, dude, you're never going to believe this. <laughs> and he sends me a screen cap of a Facebook post by former governor of Minnesota, former senator from Minnesota, Mark Dayton. And it seems as though uh, Mark Dayton was announcing uh, that he'd been, he'd be, he was married. Yeah. Congratulations to Mark Dayton. Congratulations, Mark. You know, the people do it in different ways, but his wedding announcement came on Facebook. <laughs> and, you know, you don't get this a lot for a guy who's 73. You know, not every 73-year-old gets I was going to say, yeah. So, but this one, this one stood out because, first of all, if, if you don't know Mark Dayton, Mark Dayton, he spent a ton of time in public service. I mean, he's been around since you know, 2000, uh, in terms of the, the national scene, he was most famous after nine 11. He was the one Senator who closed down his office saying Amazing. it's unsafe to represent <laughs> the people of Minnesota. Jesus. Yeah. So this dude, I mean, this dude was not exactly firing in all cylinders his entire time. I mean, it, it was like less than our best, but, but it seems as though he's maybe improved his game. Sounds like it. Sounds like you got the Facebook post. Yeah, so here it is. Dear family and friends, I'm delighted to reach out to you in these challenging times with some very happy news. After 20 years of bachelorhood, I'm now a married man. Here, here this is my favorite. Well-wishers with whom I share my news often ask me, who's the lucky lady? <laughs> I just want to pause on that for a second. If you've known <laughs> Google image search Mark Dayton, there's nobody, I don't care how good a friend you are of Mark Dayton, nobody's <laughs> ever said who's the lucky lady. Who's the lucky lady? 73-year-old Mark Dayton. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes on, you know, very self-deprecating style to say, but that's the wrong question for it is I who am the lucky man. My wife 
and he goes to say who uh, now Anna Dayton is, is her name, is smart, compassionate, tough, funny, and impossibly good at Scrabble. Oh, that's, a, you know, those are all fun little that's, characteristics. It must be the Scrabble, right? That's why he, that's why he picked her. Now, now former Governor Dayton comes in from a, the free throw line. <laughs> he says, she's also 41 years my junior. So it wasn't the Scrabble. It turns out it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the Scrabble. Uh, he is 73 and she is 32. 41 years as junior. So, you know what? Good for Mark Dayton. I support Mark Dayton. Good for Mark, him. Congratulations, Mark. Mark. <laughs> in, in one move during our COVID times, has entirely redeemed an otherwise unnoteworthy public service of the last 30 years. You know, the, 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 there's, there's a lot to the story, you know, clearly, but there's even more. So she was apparently an intern for him in 2010. So, I mean, let's do some math there, folks. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. It's even before that. Smug, he met her, he says in the same Facebook post, in the 2008 primary, so like the, the oh wow, we're talking like oh man, yeah, really do the math. And just on remember, that. just remember, like the primaries were over by March, April 2008. They were like up and running in 2007. Oh boy. So if you do the math on that, <laughs> at best, at best, Anna is 19 or t- maybe 20. Wow. <laughs> I mean. What can you say? Mark Dayton. Boy, he sure is, isn't he? <laughs> Dayton him. That's for sure. My God. Whoa. I, I just, I, I know that this is a lifelong goal of yours, Smug, uh, but I, I'm, I'm <laughs> frankly unable to wrap my mind around somebody marrying Mark Dayton 41 it's, years ago. It's young. incredible. Let's, let's, let's get to the next story. So, so Doug Band. Uh, this is a good one. I, I need you to give me the uh, update on this. Yeah. So, so uh, Gabriel Sherman writes this long piece in Vanity Fair about Doug Band, who was uh, Bill Clinton's right-hand man forever, leaving mm-hmm. the White House 15 years afterwards. He's I mean, imagine the things this guy has seen. <laughs> oh, exactly. And for that reason, he's been the hardest interview in America to get, right? This guy knows when to keep his mouth shut, obviously. It's I mean, like that's pretty much his job, right? Description. <laughs> so this dude has been, I mean, he's known fabulous wealth being an attache to Bill Clinton. He's started huge companies. He's you know, done all these things, but he's laid entirely beneath the radar. The entire piece, honestly... I really never never recommend reading Vanity Fair, but you really should check it out. It's a profile on Doug Band by Gabriel Sh- Sherman uh, out last week, and, and it's it goes through everything about you know uh, Chelsea. It's got some great stuff, but the one thing that really popped out is Doug Band saying it, it, like a, a quote in January two thousand three. According to Band, Clinton visited Epstein's private Caribbean island, Little Saint James. Wow. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Yeah, right. He says, and this is my favorite part. He's like, this guy's a total operator too. He says, Band says it was one of the few trips he declined to go with Clinton. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) here's the thing. If, if, if someone tells you, Hey, listen, we got a, we got a, we got a private jet. Guess up the PJ. We're going to a private Caribbean Island. 
you'd be on board, right? But then if someone told you, you know, he must have known to turn down a private trip to a Caribbean island, it's the stipulation that it's Epstein's island. So the fact that he turns it down, it's like these folks knew what was going on at that place. Well, it's, Who turns down a trip? Like, hey, let's go to the Caribbean. I got a jet. Let's do this. I think and we've, as we've come to find out, it's not like Epstein just woke up one day in 2007 and started molesting people. Right? Yeah, I mean, this, this has been going for a minute. And, and the profile had a bunch of like juicy bits. Like uh, Chelsea was apparently like really good friends with like Ghislaine, right? Yes. <sighs> wow. That's just shocking. I, I didn't know any of that stuff. But- yeah. But it's, you know, it, again, it's worth the read, but it, the, the Clintons officially say and have said for months and months and months that Bill Clinton never went to that island, right? I saw the Netflix, Netflix documentary on it where they got the, the guy, he's like the caretaker, the maintenance man of the island. He's like, oh yeah, no, no, he stayed in that cabin right there. Right. <laughs> he pointed to it. But the, but the official line is he was never at that island. Now you got Doug Band the guy who is knows more about Bill Clinton and anything else in the Clinton uh, life than him. I mean, he's, he's the expert. Shocking, right? Everyone, and that's the other thing is Republicans have been calling out, you know, for years, the Clintons for their relationship with the Epsteins and, and to like the, the, the like details he had about like how tight Chelsea and Ghislaine were that like, it was a problem trying to separate the two. It's like, yikes. Yikes, these people. But nobody's talking about it. You yeah, know? it's funny, right? It's really funny. It's shit, like, this is a total bombshell that just dropped. And I, I mean, you wouldn't know it. God, it's almost like the Clintons could get away with murder. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. You know, they could be caught red-handed. <laughs> well, it's a good thing we have investigations. And there was news last week in a very, very smart move by the Attorney General Barr. Uh, to take a a page out of the Democratic playbook and absolutely slam it down their throat by yes. appointing a special counsel uh, to protect the Durham investigation. And, yes, and I, yes, this is this is one of the all time best moves. I mean, it's a long time coming, and you know there needs to be a lot of things done to uh, protect this investigation because you do not want any meddling into this investigation to Joe Biden, the Biden crime family. You know, uh, the Senate must ask every Biden cabinet nominee whether they commit to protecting the independence of the special counsel's investigation. Because, you know, (laughs) this is, you know, it's a very troubling situation. We could have a president who's compromised and we need to make sure that the special counsel investigation, you know, remains protected from 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 the, the politics. So, so if, if you're slow on the uptake here, basically what Smug has done is run out the Democratic talking points over the last four years. Yeah, and, is, and, and here you go. Like, everything they were throwing at us is going right back at them. Like, all those, all those statements from Kamala talking about how concerned she is about the special counsel's investigation and how, oh, my God, the Republicans are going to try to obstruct. Well, here we go. Now so, it's time for them. So, but, but just, you know, just to put a little flavor, you all knew that Adam Schiff was a total scumbag, but, but his response to this is just classic Schiff. He said, Barr, quote, Barr is using the special counsel law for a purpose it was not intended, colon, to continue a politically motivated investigation. I mean, come on. Wow. Wow. Oh, you mean a little bit like the Mueller investigation? Yeah. 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 A little bit? Like this is a guy, this is a guy in Adam Schiff 
who has never been reprimanded a day in his life for saying things like, quote, there's ample evidence of collusion in plain, plain sight. Yeah. The guy is an absolute conspiracy theorist. And now, you know, shoes on the other foot. And it's just the hypocrisy that we've already started seeing is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Adam Schiff and, and Democrats spent four years. Remember all the bills that they were running out? I, oh, like yeah. Jeff Flake was sort of like the champion of the Republican champion of the bill to protect Bob Mueller. It's like every day was a, a, a Democratic tracking exercise for journalists to try to figure out how to put every Republican on record for whether they supported a bill to protect the special counsel. Yeah, they were basically just camped out in the hallways of Congress being like waiting for a Republican to come by and be like, oh, wow, will you do something to protect the special counsel? Well, I guarantee you won't be hearing them asking Dems the same question. Like, what's different? Like, why aren't they, why aren't right now? Yeah. Right now, there should be every Democrat on record. Do you think that the special counsel should be protected? And I, I'd love to hear the answer to that. Congress must immediately act to prevent Biden from firing the special counsel. I mean, you know, Durham's going to find Hunter, bottom line, <laughs> you know? Where's Hunter? Durham's going to find out. And you've got that laptop from hell. And the thing about these special investigations is it's the same way as when, uh, you know, there was investigations into Hillary's emails and eventually led to Anthony Weiner's laptop and everything we found there. Well, folks, <laughs> history, it repeats itself, doesn't it? It really does. And this is going to be fun. And it's going to be, you know, the Dems are going to try to totally backtrack on everything they claimed about needing to protect a special counsel. Uh, because shoes on the other foot now, folks. Nobody can say the name Anthony Weiner without me laughing. <laughs> I mean, a I story. Can't, I can't. What I just a can't. story. Wasn't that guy with Anthony Weiner? Wasn't the initial like when he first got caught? Wasn't it because he just straight up tweeted out a a, a picture of his uh, lower region? Like, didn't I, I think that was the big? I think that was like the first time. I mean, this guy. <laughs> this this has been like an ongoing process of years and years for him. It's an ongoing saga. But I think that was the start of it. Well, not to digress, but but if if Barr is going to find Hunter, he just needs to follow the little footprints. Oh my God! Okay, let's let's move on to the next topic now. Uh, and you know, a very important one. It's Georgia, folks. We told you every episode we're going to talk about Georgia. It's the most important story in politics. It's probably the most important election of our lifetimes. Not even kidding on that one. Uh, what do you got, Josh? Well, so here's the inside scoop that a lot of people want. Is having worked in politics for an awful long time, I think Trump, the one thing he's done above all else is expose journalism in America for what it is, which is basically just political advocacy. And mm -hmm. the way it works is uh, journalists basically choose a topic at the beginning of the week that they think is going to be the most uh, difficult for Republicans, right? It, it's, it's a line of argument that's hardest to defend that you know, basically puts them in a bad spot and they all do the same story. You see it at every publication, it goes, and that's how they develop these conventional wisdom narratives. And the beginning of last week, it was President Trump is going to ruin both Senate races for the Republican Party because he's focused on uh, all these legal challenges and criticizing the governor and the secretary of state. And he's liable to go down on Saturday and say, you know, don't vote. And it basically sacrificed the two Senate races, right? So all week and every, listen, every press secretary, Republican press secretary that's listening to this right now, you know damn well what I'm talking about. Yeah. We all got questions on this yeah. last week, right? So all week, the, the drum beats, boop, 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 boop. 
And then Saturday happens, the president stone cold looks in the camera four different occasions and says, if you're frustrated, go vote. You can't make it close, go vote. He does the exact opposite of what every journal in America said was going to happen. Yeah, and that's the thing. The surest sign of a great Trump rally is journalists no longer talking about it. It's crickets oh, now. Totally. So, so by, by Sunday, they're like, shit, you know? Like, we can't, <laughs> like we can't even use that anymore. Like, they're, they're, they're busily trying to, like, figure out whether the Linwood quote still works. They're like, you know, how do we, how do we go back at this? And they're like, I know, I know what we'll do. We'll focus on... The, Democrat, the Republican Democratic debate between Raphael Warnock and, uh, and our, our, our Senator Kelly Leffler. And that is when you see just this enormous exposure that journalists- Ask off. Oh, uh, the mask just comes off. So you were watching this, right? Yeah, I saw it in real time. The, uh, the worst tweets from journals that I saw was this guy, Manny Fidel. Uh, from Business Insider, I mean, man, you, and, you know, Fidel. You got to guess it's definitely a Raphael Warnock supporter. Uh, but what is what what bothers him about the debate? Why it's how Kelly Leffler looks. He goes, he he's like, I took I took these multiple screenshots of Kelly Leffler during tonight's debate. I'm dead serious. I took four separate screenshots, and they're just similar images. And of course, this is how you know that journos have nothing to get on Leffler is they're, they're trying to attack how she smiles. Like, I thought that was supposed to be like sexism. We were all told, oh my God, you know, Republicans pounce, war on women. And then uh, they say, and then they say because, because she didn't take the bait, like they asked her a whole bunch of questions that were just baited questions that no matter what your answer was, you would get yourself in trouble. She refused to t- take the bait like a total disciplined badass. Stayed on message. Stayed on message, said she wanted it, what she wanted to say, you know, called Raphael Warnock, uh, radical liberal Raphael Warnock about three dozen times, which- I love that. I love that. Three dozen more would have been appropriate. And, and, and they're like, wow, she's robotic. She's yeah. robotic. And she looks, you know, she looks the same. I mean, it's just, it's the most sexist shit and only Republicans get it. Yep. And it, w- what I loved is a result of the debate is, you know, you saw Republicans pick up on how great that radical liberal Raphael Warnock messaging is. Yep. And then journals were just having a fit. They're like, oh, no, Republicans are all on message. They're, they're showing message discipline. Oh, my God, they're calling him radical liberal Raphael Warnock because Raphael Warnock is a radical liberal, folks. <laughs> you know, tell everyone you know about radical liberal Raphael Warnock. Radical, Thank you, Kelly liberal, radical liberal Raphael Warnock came out and, and tried to defend his radical liberal Raphael Warnock mentality <laughs> and what, what, what Kelly and his socialist did. policies and he couldn't defend it. That's right. And what Kelly it. Leffler did was just calmly dispatch of radical liberal Raphael Warnock. That was it. Absolutely. And, That's the story of the debate. And you know, I mean, good for her. That's a good candidate. I, I'm thinking, you know, it's looking great right now, but it only matters on election day folks. So, we need everyone in Georgia voting. We need everyone chip in. If you can, throw a couple bucks uh, well, this in is, Georgia. It, that battleground is, is it, I mean, it's going to decide whether you let Kamala Harris have the 51st vote. And, and this is, but this is where, honestly, like President Trump just killed it on Saturday because mm-hmm. they're expecting him to just sort of sabotage the whole thing. He does the exact opposite. The guy, guy was reading out the dates by which you have to register and, and request ballots and early vote. I mean, he was just, he was being as helpful as you could possibly be in ensuring every Republican understand 
there is no other pathway except for to vote, vote, vote. And yeah, absolutely crushed it. So Jernos had to go in a different direction. Yeah. So speaking of Georgia, we got a, we got a great guest today who can, who can tell us a little bit about that. Who we got, Josh? Yeah. So Todd Young, um, I've known for a few years, had the privilege of working on his campaign in 2016, which was a total rock star campaign. He gets no credit for it because, you know, the era of Trump sort of uh, uh, overtook events, but he knocked off Evan Bayh, who was a, a complete rock star in Indiana. Uh, former governor, former senator, thought to have, you know, the most popular image and brand in Indiana. And Todd Young just completely annihilated him. Huge win. In, Huge in that election. win. Yeah. And so, you know, he's got some political skill, but he's also just, you know, a really smart operator. And so I knew when he took the reins at the senatorial committee, he was going to be good. I had no idea he was going to be this good. And for folks who are wondering how it is that Senate Republicans have now put themselves in a position to actually retain the majority in 2020. This guy's a huge reason why. Oh, great. Let's, let's get right to that interview. Senator Todd Young, welcome to Ruthless. Josh, thanks for having me. Uh, great to be with the Minions. Man, I, I, I've been looking forward to having you on for so long. One, because most NRSC chairmen are afforded the right to do a little bit of a victory lap after they've had a cycle like yours, but because of, <laughs> because of Georgia... Um, and being in overtime. And then two, because when all your colleagues were thanking you at the lunch, you, you had to self-quarantine. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. I, I, I wasn't there for the round of applause. And uh, in this business, you don't get two, right? No. I mean, <laughs> no, you don't get two. But I noticed but, that your executive director was more than happy to go take the applause for you. Oh, uh, and, and you know, well-deserved. Uh, <laughs> I will say his name. I will say his name, Kevin McLaughlin. He's, uh, he's just uh, really stepped up and uh, shine, yeah, as has the entire team. But as you indicated, we're in OT. And uh, it's, it's time to play through the holidays and make sure we win these two Georgia races because uh, the future of the Republic depends on it. Everyone knows that. Yeah, no, the stakes could not be any higher. But, but two of the things that I wanted to touch on, again, because, you know, you don't get a chance to do a retrospective on the full cycle in the same way many of your predecessors had, is, is just that the massive success that the NRSC had this cycle in fundraising. Um, you know, you had a top of the ticket that was gobbling up a lot of bucks all over the place. And traditionally, you know, your Senate races and your house races and on down the line sort of suffer as a result. You did the exact opposite of that, raising record amounts of money. Yeah. Just about every month, uh, I think with one exception, uh, we bested the democratic committee. Uh, we raised more, um, early into the summer than, than I, I think had ever been raised in an election year. I mean, we broke a lot of records, right? Um, but we sort of knew we had to. Our game plan was to, to raise more money than we've ever raised before, far more in, in light of the number of seats that were out there. And in light of the sort of cycle, we expected to this, this to be a very intense one. And we wanted to deploy those resources early so that we gave our candidates an opportunity to really tout their accomplishments, right? So they wouldn't be all caught up in the steel cage match between yeah. uh, Donald J. Trump and, and, um, and, and Joe Biden. And, and so um, the strategy worked, despite all predictions from almost all pundits. 
Right. Uh, and uh, the American people chose our incredible candidates uh, because they ran on their accomplishments. They ran on economic freedom and, and personal responsibility, and they rejected socialism and defunding the police and and um, and packing the courts. And 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 so. Um, it really gave me a great deal of faith and encouragement, but we had to deploy those resources smartly, and that was really a team effort. Yeah, and, and one of the biggest, that's one of the biggest challenges, obviously, in a cycle like this is you, you got to have the resources, which we, ju- we just discussed, but you also have to strategically spend your resources well. And I, I was struck by, you know, a, a couple of the stories that have come out post-election about just how much Democrat at the, at the candidate level, Democrats raised and spent in order to have just sort of paltry vote totals in a lot of these targeted races. It, it was remarkable. So what I will characterize, uh, I think I'm borrowing this from someone else, as the biggest sinkholes were South Carolina yeah. and Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, you've got to feel burned right now if, if you invested um, some serious money in those races. Because in Kentucky, Amy McGrath spent $92 for every single vote she got, right? I mean, that was the average. In South Carolina, um, Lindsey Graham edge, edged out uh, Mitch on that. So uh, Jamie Harrison spent 95 bucks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think the voters would probably rather have the Benjamin. What do you think? <laughs> I, th- I think you're right. I think they want their money back. And I hope they're pausing a little bit to think about that as, as, as we head into Georgia. Yeah, okay. yep. Well, I want to talk. I want to talk about Georgia in a second, but I, I first wanted to, to clip a couple bio pieces from you, um, just because you know you you don't get you, you spend so much time introducing your colleagues to the world in such a great way. Um, you know, not everybody's gotten a glimpse inside of the Todd Young world. First of all, you're a Marine. I am. And, uh, very proud of that. And and we thank you for your service. Wondering if you wanted to talk anything about uh, your time in the Marines. So Marines think a lot about team building. Those who join the Marines don't join uh, that service because we think it's going to be the most comfortable or the most convenient or because uh, uh, as, as, as uh, one recruiting campaign once put it, because you're looking for a rose garden. Right. Right. Instead, you join the Marine Corps because you're looking for an incredible challenge. And that's the sort of spirit that um, I've tried to bring with me into all sorts of life challenges, whether it was in the business world or in politics uh, or in this capacity as as senatorial committee chairman. Um, We embraced the suck. That became a a (laughs) slogan. (laughs) That became a slogan around here when it wasn't looking good. When Senator Collins was behind in every single national poll on the Real Clear Politics Roundup, um, when Crystal Ball had the Iowa Senate races uh, rated lean Democrat, when Jamie Harrison and Amy McGrath raised uh, together about $200 million to challenge Lindsey and Mitch, you know, things weren't always looking good. But in each of those cases, um, we felt confident that uh, we could overcome it and we could accomplish some very big things. Some of that, of course, was informed by data and our own internal analysis and our talent. But some of it, frankly, is just attitude. Yeah. And that's kind of the Marine Corps way. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I totally see that. And just your management style, you know, you're just plowing through 
whatever the dip or the spike may be, you just sort of execute. You know, you got to be true to yourself. There's all kinds of leaders and personalities out there, and um, they can be effective through yeah. different approaches. And um, I learned some time ago that um, Marines will see right through an inauthentic leader, right? Right. They, they want a real man or, or woman leading them. And, and so and someone who cares about them, someone yeah. who, who uh, shares their desire to, to accomplish grand things, uh, you know, uh, to accomplish big missions. And that really, that, that ethic was instilled into me in the Marine Corps. And uh, to me, that's what the Marines are all about. It's not just military service. You take it with you once you leave the Marine Corps active duty service and um, it ought to shape how you live your life. Yeah. 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 Well, the other thing the Marines give you is a pretty good workout regimen, Todd. And, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm guessing um, that you've taken that with you to the Senate gym. Now, before we get into that, uh, I think we all, anybody who's worked in the Senate has our horror stories about uh, basically what, it, what it's like walking into the Senate gym. But you were also in the House. And I got to imagine there's a contrast between the House gym and the Senate gym. So the House, by reputation, in reality, and um, <laughs> just, uh, you know, by observation, it's populated with younger people yeah. uh, who um, tend to be more fit. <laughs> right, because of because of the cohort of the population you're drawing from, and over in the house, um, you, you know, folks are really working out. Right. Uh, <laughs> you come to the Senate, and 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 I'm not going to tell too many you know um, family secrets here, but I'll just say you go into the gym, and and um, it's like an old living room. It's a very small area compared to the house gym, and. You know those old those old cloth belts you put around uh, your waist and kind of ch- try and shake the fat off. <laughs> Come on! So they got those. No, no, they don't. Um, they 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 have they have the wooden, the, the those wooden things. The guys with real long and curly mustaches, uh, wooden dumbbells, and medicine balls, and maybe a couple of jump ropes. So, um, no. <laughs> The gym's a great place to get to know people, uh, some of your colleagues outside of a, another setting. And uh, so a little bit of it is, is about working out and clearing your head. But, um, yeah, I still, <laughs> I, I still go to the gym, and, and uh, it's, uh, it can be a, a fun place to hang out. And, and, well, uh, <laughs> I won't ask you to comment on this, but my, yeah. my first Senate job was for Senator Norm Coleman. This is back in, in 2003 or so. And amongst my first responsibilities was um, I was a driver and I would deliver papers and, and do all kinds of things. And Coleman got up at the crack of dawn. This guy got up at, at 4.35 in the morning, would get up and play tennis with somebody in, in the tennis facility, which a lot of people don't know exists in the Senate. And so one day they asked me to go deliver his briefcase because he was going directly to a, a meeting from the tennis facility, which by the way, I don't even know if I could get back there. Uh, I don't know uh, how to find it. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> somewhere in the Dirksen building, but I, you know, whatever. Anyway, I go up there. Uh, he's in the locker room. So I, I drop it off and I turn around and I start walking out. And Arlen Specter is walking out of, this, out of the shower with the towel over his shoulder. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, uh, 
I just ran out of there as fast as I could. Let's just say um, a lot of my colleagues are very self-confident. Right? They're very comfortable with themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, you do have you do have a couple that still that still work on it. And so what I'm wondering is it like in a foot race, Todd? This is this is a serious question. In a foot race between Todd Young, Tom Cotton, John Thune, and I'm going to throw Grassley into the mix. Uh, who wins the foot race? Oh, Grassley. <laughs> because he's the meanest son of a gun of all of them. I mean, you know, Grassley would, I mean, he'd tackle everyone right before the starting gun went off. He'd start biting ankles. People would be, people be writhing in pain. And then Grassley would, would figure out how, uh, how to finish a race and, and how to be first. Or if, if anybody were to escape and actually to be ahead, ahead of him, um, they, they'd probably let Chuck pass because uh, they would not want to feel the wrath of Chuck Grassley on the back end of that. Chuck is an incredibly competitive guy and, and uh, actually a wonderful human being, but, um, but he is tough. He is really tough. Well, I mean, Leader McConnell told me last week that when uh, Grassley was diagnosed with COVID, that he didn't break his routine. He kept running three miles every morning. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not, that's not a joke. He did. It's incredible. He'd eat his massive uh, farm breakfast, you know, like, you know, four eggs and six sausage links and, and hash browns. And, 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 and uh, then he'd go run two, I think it's two miles every single day when he had COVID. I mean, he is um, a different a, world, man. really impressive guy, but yeah, he'd, he'd win that race. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair and, enough. And, uh, and then the rest of us, you know, the other three, each of us claim we'd get second, right? Yep. Yeah. But, uh, because we're all competitive. But Thune, somebody recently said, all right, in a, I think they asked Ben Sass if, if it were uh, a running contest between Thune and Young, who would win? And, um, and Sass went out there and he said that, well, I think Thune would win. Uh-oh. And, you know, this shows we're all politicians. So I approached Sass about it later in the day on the floor. I said, what's up with you saying Thune's going to win? He said, well, I meant age-adjusted. Uh, uh, that is a man. That's a man who's good on his feet. That's right? some spin. That is that's some really good spin. Well, you know what? You know, Ruthless is happy to sponsor this event at any time when we need to set out some cones. So my money, my money's on you, Todd. I think you'd take it. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. I love it. All right. We'll, we'll do it for charity, i.e. toddyoung.org. Yeah, right, right, right. Very important. We need to get to that. He's got a big race coming up next cycle, and he's done everything for his colleagues. So toddyoung.org needs to be visited early and often by all of us. But before, before we get to our final questions, we need to talk Georgia. There is never an episode of Ruthless where we don't do a full segment on Georgia. I thought that there was a very productive weekend out of Georgia. I thought the president did a nice job. I thought Kelly did a wonderful job last night in the debate. Uh, but I know you guys are, are investing unprecedented resources, and I'm just curious to get your thoughts on how things are going. Incredibly well. Um, you know, it's it's difficult to predict, Josh. I mean, I you know, I think it's close. Let me be candid, and uh, we have to stay vigilant and can't take anything for granted. But 
Uh, we're executing our game plan right now. Uh, nationally, uh, we've recruited Carl Rove to lead the Chargers National Finance Chair of a 50-state fundraising effort. So essentially, we're running a presidential campaign mm -hmm. over the course of a couple of months here. The ground game, which is really where our point of emphasis is, since we're not persuading a lot of people, this is a get-out-the-vote exercise, um, is something that uh, we've consulted with the best, including you, in the business of, uh, about uh, how we can make sure and mobilize people uh, at an unnatural time on January 5th to come out and vote. Right. Thousand paid staffers on the ground. Uh, we've already made over a million voter contacts. So we're doing everything we need to do. And then with respect to the legal effort, I know that remains a great concern for a lot of people. Um, we brought in uh, the best attorneys in, in the business. We are incredibly lawyered up. The Republican Attorney General's Association has helped us analyze state election law and potential, you know, vulnerabilities there. We already have pleadings ready yeah, in advance. Right. That can, we can pull the trigger on uh, at various polling places and, and so forth. So if an injunction is needed to stop some sort of, of uh, malfeasance, then that can take place. So uh, we're executing, but most importantly, look, I mean, we, we still have better candidates. Kelly Leffler and David Perdue are out there hooking and jabbing, sticking and stabbing, as we say in the Marines, and, and um, they're fighters. And the people of Georgia want a fighter for them right now. They don't want far left extremism. Um, they need something to temper that nationally. And um, they're out there uh, talking about, most importantly, how we can emerge from this coronavirus uh, pandemic uh, as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. We, Kelly and, and David have both been very active in providing assistance to the people of Georgia. And then they're contrasting their records with um, the very uh, the very radical uh, leftists that uh, they're facing. And um, so um, we're, we're pulling out every stop, but the Democrats, um, you know, they're showing up too, and they're the party of government. So when we're home on Christmas or, or thinking about our, our family gatherings, their life is still very much consumed um, by right. some of this other stuff. So we can't take our eye off the ball. No, we, we sure can't. The stakes couldn't be any higher. And I, and I can say... Um, for myself, and I, I think an awful lot of conservatives across the country, that we are incredibly grateful to have your leadership and the leadership of, of, of one of the most impressive NRSCs that we've ever seen uh, as it's all on the line. So, so thank you, Senator, for that. I, I really can't say enough about your leadership over the last two years. Well, this has been, you know, I have to admit, I didn't grow up telling my, my dad that someday I wanted to be chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee. <laughs> yeah, I want to be a professional athlete or a fireman or whatever. Um, but I am incredibly proud uh, to represent the people of Indiana in the U.S. Senate. And this position as chairman of this election effort, holding the line against the far left National Democratic Party at this moment in history may be the most consequential thing I've ever been involved in. And so um, I'm excited about the next number of weeks. Uh, I'm, I uh, have a conviction we're going to win seats 51 and 52. And we're going to save this republic, man. I love it. I love it. Todd Young, I got three questions for you. They're the same three we give every guest. It starts with uh, your last meal on earth. What is it? Oh, goodness. This would require a lot of reflection. But I'll tell you the first thing that comes to mind. 
Okay. First thing that comes to mind, and um, it's it's fairly well known back in the state of Indiana that um, I love Taco Bell. <laughs> I had it Friday night. Did the drive-through around um, 9 p.m. Got a bag full of bean burritos, and I thought they discontinued my favorite meal. It's I mean it's like perfect uh, meal, which is the steak soft taco. Did you go off menu with it? Yeah, you just got to order a regular soft taco and substitute protein, the steak. And, and so the last meal would be the, the uh, steak soft tacos and um, uh, Diet Mountain Dew. That is so awesome. The, the secret to Taco Bell, by the way, is for those of us of a certain age, whatever you ordered in like 1996 is your order today. That's true. And, you know, they only have like four or five ingredients, but, right. you know, you do the math. It's like every permutation uh, and combination and they can, they, they got like something quote, quote unquote new every couple of weeks, right? It's the same <laughs> ingredients, same five or six things. They, you got to yeah, stick with what works. Okay, I love perfect. that answer. Yeah. I love it. So uh-huh. second question is if you weren't in politics, what would you be doing with your life? Uh, well, I, I topped out in terms of the sport of soccer. I really did aspire to be a professional soccer player. It helped me get into the Naval Academy, my, my soccer prowess. Uh, <laughs> and and um, so that was, that was kind of it. You know, what would I be doing? I have this ethic of service because of my time in, in the Marine Corps that uh, I can't shake. I, I really enjoy serving. So I'd either be probably leading a not-for-profit or in some sort of impact investing role or um, doing something that involved a large element of service. It could be in the business world, but where I really feel like I have an opportunity to, to also, you know, serve others. So um, it's, um, that's, yeah, that's great. service oriented. So, so the third question, which is the most important of the three is what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? So I know what the fashionable answer is here. We're all supposed to say it's the thrill of victory. And we remember when we were 14 years old and we jumped off the high dive and looked over and saw mommy and daddy clapping and increased our ego so much that that thrill is one you could never recapture, right? Um, and, and, And there is something to that. Right. But, but I actually think the pain of, of, of losing yeah. is, is just something we all want to avoid. I mean, I hate to, we, we, we none of us likes to lose, but I hate to lose. And uh, <laughs> I'll pull out every legal stop uh, to ensure uh, that I don't lose. So no, it's bigger than that. Let me, let me just get, go deep for 10 seconds on you. Sure. We live in It'll sound a little corny, maybe to uh, the minions, and I'm sorry, but no, we we just live in a country where there's such incredible opportunity. Immigrants see it with fresh eyes a lot of times, right? Right. A lot of folks don't realize it until they're older. But I, I had some parents who told me at a young age, "You work hard, you dream big, you can do anything." And and so to throw away an opportunity like that by not going after really big things by climbing big mountains and setting high goals for yourself, um, it would be agonizing. So, so that's why I say uh, the agony of defeat broadly defined, the agony of falling short, not living uh, a life of consequence. Yeah. Oh, I love that. What a, yeah. what a great answer. Well, listen, you've given us uh, some motivation here over the holidays, Senator Young. I, I appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for visiting us. I, I want to make sure that we hit you up again in the new year. Again, you have a very important race. You're up next cycle, and you've been as selfless a senator as there is in the Senate doing what you can for your colleagues. And so we need to help Todd Young at ToddYoung.org. Thanks, brother. Todd Young and Todd, yeah, that's right. ToddYoung.org, that's my website. I just signed up uh, to, uh, to the new platform, Parlor, And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter. Todd Young, I-N, and um, I look forward to keeping in touch with you, Josh, and with all the minions. Well, thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Merry Christmas. All right. Nice work, man. Good Good. interview. Good interview. Yeah. He, I mean, look, he is a, uh, he's an impressive guy and it can't be overstated what they have done to revolutionize that committee to create a uh, small dollar program that rivals its Democrats, then, you know, I just can't say enough good things. They're just really, really smart. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel better about Georgia already. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, and, and there you go. That's another, that's another episode in the can. It was a pretty good one. Yeah, folks, we're going to have, so, there, but there's a lot of talk on, on, on the twits smug that we should probably mm-hmm. address before we go about doing things like putting together Christmas lists. Yes. Uh, so we'll have a gift guide uh, coming up on Ruthless. As you know, the peop- what the people cry out for, we provide. That's what we're here for, folks. Uh, so you know, please keep those suggestions coming. Uh, keep, keep adding those uh, five-star reviews and, and, and comments on Apple Podcasts. We, believe it or not, we read them all. You know what? I think we should start reading out the best ones because there's a, there's, there's a bunch of bangers in there. Oh my God, that's such a good idea. We should definitely take the top two or three comments on the Apple or wherever you get your podcast and we'll read them out next week. Done. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, until next time, Indians, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. Stay ruthless. We'll see you on Thursday. My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once with like basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. 